Right now you're listening to the sounds of me hiking up Mount Tam because it's the only place out in the open where I could think of uh, that would be safe to essentially yell at the top of my lungs. And what inspired this is today's guest, who's Megan February, and she runs a publication called For Women Who Roar. And before I ever looked at any of the art or any of the poems or any of the writing that the publication features, just the title, Roar, just that word kind of spoke to me in a way that I thought was worth exploring. When I think of roar, I think of something powerful, something meaningful, something intentional. And just the act of actually roaring, of actually hearing what it sounds like for me to plant my feet and make the loudest, most powerful noise I could, I couldn't actually remember the last time that I did that. And I thought that was funny, especially for somebody who works with their voice. And so you're listening to me and my little dog Gizmo hike up the mountain and try and find a place that's <laughs> not going to bother anyone to let loose and to roar and to hear what that sounds like. I've been walking around waiting for a spot to call to me. I think I found a good one. It's on pretty much the top of a hill overlooking a valley of other hills about the same height, not facing any residential areas. And uh, all right, here we go. Just gonna plant my feet, take a deep breath, and I think I'm gonna make like a an ah sound. We'll see. We'll see how that sounds, if that feels right. So here we go. And a roar is so much more than making the loudest noise possible. A roar is connecting to a strength deep within you that has always been there and always will be there. And some days a roar is doing something gigantic and on other days a roar is just getting out of bed when you don't feel like it. I know what it sounds like when I roar. Do you? And this is my voice. <laughs> this is what's talking. Actually, were you at the Seattle school yesterday? I was. Yeah. Did you go to that? I did, yeah. Okay, everybody went to that apparently. I know. It was like the place to be. That's how I know Talitha. Uh, she's the one that con connected me with you, I think. Yeah. Yeah. We started off as internet friends. Oh, yeah. And she's then we awesome. went real world. Yeah, she's great. Yeah. And um, <clears throat> a bunch of alumni just like sent me messages. Like I saw a bunch of message requests and like, I love that school. I went there. I'm what? like, damn. <laughs> I didn't even mention it. Yeah. You know? Oh, yeah. You can recognize the building. Like, yeah. Just the, I saw the brick building and I was like, I know that place. Yeah. Spent a lot of time at the Seattle school. It was a good place, but yeah, it's good. And that's where you studied theology. I studied, um, yes, theology and psychology. And um, it's a long story, but I, I changed my degree midway through. I was studying the psychology program. And um, when I went to the school, I was kind of, I say I was taking a big investment into my own healing and my own journey. And uh, I guess when I got there, I didn't expect to go as deep as I did. And 
uh, I went too deep and it felt like <laughs> I fell in to the ocean and couldn't get up. So I had to change my program halfway through because I was sitting in these um, practical uh, group therapy exchanges and I was like, I can't make it. <laughs> oh my gosh, this fast. Sorry. <laughs> All right. Hey, everybody. <laughs> so normally I just jump into the conversation, but just so you're aware of where you are, we are in a game room. It's like an apartment complex game room. And we're right by the street, so we're going to hear some cars. And uh, if you want to join us visually, we're at the uh, the game room kitchen area <laughs> at the table. There's a pool table, a microwave, yeah. and a big TV. With Megan February. <laughs> Hi. It's nice to meet you guys. So, Megan, I like to start off this way, and it can be as big or as small of a question as you'd like, but who are you? Oh, God. That question. Um... I am a writer, I identify first and foremost as a writer and as a storyteller and an artist and I believe a space holder for people to share their stories and help heal. I love that. I always ask because it's like the normal way would be for me to go find your Wikipedia and all your accounts and come up with like a list of what you've done, but I love to hear how people mm -hmm. just identify Mm -hmm. themselves. And so on the achievement list, you're also the founder or creator of For Women Who For Women Who Roar. <laughs> it's like really hard to for say. For Women Who Roar. <laughs> it looks great on text though. Yeah. But uh, like the more people say it, they're like, I'm having a hard time saying these words. For Women Who Roar. And it is really important that it is for women who roar. Sometimes people are just like women who roar. But I, I'm like, you know, that word for is really critical because it is a dedication and offering for you. So, um, yeah, I'm the founder and creator of For Women Who Roar, and it's my heartbeat. <laughs> so I want to talk about that a bit, but this interview is really about you and how you've navigated the world and how your life and your being is part of that. Mm -hmm. So I'd love to know, I, I guess real quick, let me slow down real mm -hmm. quick. Can you just explain what Four Women Who Roar is? And that pause, I realize, is how you say it. Yeah. Right? Because yeah. the pause lets you not stumble on your tongue. Four <laughs> Women Who Roar. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Um, yeah. So Four Women Who Roar is a digital platform and print publication that elevates the voices and stories of women, all women, um, anyone who identifies as women or non-binary. <clears throat> and it is specifically a space to share art, uh, photography, uh, s stories, uh, poetry. So we have a biannual publication that comes out twice a year, and it is just so empowering and beautiful. And it's a print, so they can get it as a print version if you love books. Like, I'm obsessed with books. So you can hold it in your hand or you can get a di digital copy. We have a podcast and a whole social network and we have events too. So you can meet in real life and have that real face-to-face -face experience with other women who are moving through the process of sharing their stories. I love what you're doing. Thank um, you. It's a template for me in a lot of ways mm. of building community, mm. of putting story first. Mm. And I mean, I'm just a quiet onlooker, but you know, I, I love it. Thank you so much. It's yeah. For who you are and how you got here and 
why it made sense to make a really vulnerable, unvarnished story space. How'd you get here? Mm. Oh, God. How did I get here? I always tell people that for women who roar really began when I was 12 years old. And I truly believe that, like that it began in this space where I was in the dark. And when I was 12, I was like struggling so much with um, depression and suicide and, you know, just struggling to exist in my body and my experience. And uh, writing was always that way of coming home to me and to my truth. And it was the way that I could rage and put metaphor and language out there to say, you know, what I call the unsayable things. And uh, so when I was 12, I wrote my first book um, and it was really bad. (laughs) (laughs) It was like really bad. And it was like um, on my dad's typewriter. And it was uh, like, all these stories and poems um, about people that were learning to survive. Um, So they were people I was in school with in middle school. They were my own stories. They were um, people like celebrities that had survived like mental health issues or even people that had committed suicide. It was like these stories that I resonated with that um, I felt like needed to be on paper. So I began to write these stories out and then I cut them all out and then I stapled them together. And that was my first book. And uh, I kind of felt like that's where it all began. And ever since then, to some degree, I've been writing my own stories, um, writing poetry, holding spaces for people to come together to have creative workshops. Um, I was a yoga teacher forever. (laughs) So really what that looked like was having embodied storytelling events. So it was ways to kind of connect to your body, move how it feels good, and then notice what that what that's doing and what kind of story does that bring up? What visceral response are you having to that story? So um yeah, it's uh that's kind of how I arrived here. It's that was kind of a roundabout, but ultimately it was all from this power of story. Yeah, it's, so if we can zoom in on the 12-year-old publication, mm-hmm. what was it called? Uh, the truth we dare to tell. The truth we dare to tell. <laughs> I love, I love some of the phrase, uh, the unsayable things. Mm. That's probably the title of this episode. Mm. You used the word that you were depressed. Were you aware of it? Because mm. I was also a shy and sensitive and overwhelmed kid. I was really afraid of death, and but I didn't have that language for it. Yeah, and. Did you, were you aware of what you were feeling or? No. Oh, yeah. It makes me feel a lot of things right there. Um, you know, no. So growing up, um, my, my family, my was, uh, very depressed and, um, actually went into hospitalization when I was eight, uh, for depression. And, um, I don't know a lot of the backstory. It's kind of, you know, Once again, the unsayable things was the things no one could talk about. And no one talked about anything in my family, you know, but yet there was so much hardship. There was so much pain. So, no, I didn't have language for depression. I recognized it. I saw in myself something I could see in my and uh, something I could see in my family that was just kind of brushed away. So I didn't have words for it, but that's where I created 
words, you know, from that. I would literally, I had my favorite books were the dictionary and the thesaurus. I can't say thesaurus, thesaurus. And I would have it next to my bed and I would spend hours looking through the thesaurus, like looking for words that would match up to ways that I could feel. And then I would take words just because I like the sound of them (laughs) and I would plug them into poems and language and create uh, kind of stories from the space that I couldn't talk about. It's such a beautiful image Mm -hmm. of a little girl looking for the words to describe her feelings. Mm -hmm. I just had a moment there. I'm sorry. No, I just had a moment of deep compassion for Mm -hmm. a younger version of myself that didn't know what he was feeling. Mm -hmm. How did you come into yourself and, and start to heal from that or start to be able to live with those feelings i mean i imagine you know you aren't cured no oh my god no (laughs) tell me what like even right now i'm just like oh jesus uh so much um well i haven't thought about that little girl in a long time i think um till right now so i'm feeling a lot with you um and i just had a memory so when I was 12, I think it was it was either 12 or 13, and I was, um, you know, really depressed and, again, didn't have language for it. And I thought about wanting to end my life, and um, I was terrified of that because I was scared of death, too, and it wasn't even a concept that I was comfortable diving into. Anyway, I remember sitting on my couch, and we had this big sliding glass door that looked out on the yard. And I thought like then I was like, I don't want to be here. And I started to cut myself. And um, and when I did that, I saw, and this is probably going to sound very strange to some people, but I had a vision. <clears throat> I had a vision. And the vision that I saw was of this like figure, like, um, I don't know, it was like, it looked like an angelic being to me. And she appeared and in my in my mind, and she said, you know, you, you are safe here, you can be here, you can exist here. And I remember just crying. And I stopped, you know, doing what I was doing. And I just cried. And I went to my room and I like journaled about it. I drew this image I saw, um, just like this blonde, like flowy angel girl, whatever. And uh, years later, I was in college and I was going through my old journals um, of when I was younger to kind of begin to write letters to the different stories she was telling. Um, in it. So like if I wrote, oh, I'm having a bad day or this is happening, I would begin to write back to her like I was counseling myself. And what happened was I came across that image and that moment of that angel, that vision I saw that I had completely forgot about. And I got to it and it was so wild, Sam, because when I saw the image, I realized it was myself. So the image I saw was me, was me as an adult. It was me right then. So it was like I had this prophetic vision of my adult self showing back up and saying, you're going to be okay. You're going to survive this. You're safe here. I have chills right now. Yeah, it was nuts. So that, I mean, that's a, when you ask, 
how do you heal yourself? How do you heal yourself? And I say this all the time. I truly believe our healing comes from when we begin to therapize our younger selves, when we begin to create space to listen to that journey we had when we were younger. This is really new for me. I've never looked back that far mm. to that guy. You know, I've looked at, oh, what went wrong when I was a drug addict or alcoholic or what went wrong when I was like a really angry young man and terrible partner and all the the things that were like obvious things to look at when I was trying to clean my life up. But I haven't looked at like seven to nine-year-old Sam or even earlier until recently, until um, I started actually really thinking about belief. And I remembered this little kid who believed in himself. Like, yeah, I was still a weird, sensitive kid, but I believed that I was going to do really cool things with my life. Mm. And I've started to go back to that. And obviously you're a good podcast host because you're bringing up a lot of stuff, just like your, your, mm. your space. Mm. Um, and um, yeah, I've just been uh, holding the thought of make him proud, you know, make that little nine-year-old proud. So if, if you met him, he'd be really excited of who he was going to become yeah. and that he was going to be the guy that had the hard conversation that he didn't want to. And he was going to be the guy who fought to make money so he can survive. And he was going to be the guy who like did the hard things that needed to be done and didn't lose himself in the process. And it's really healing. I mean, I, there are a lot of exercises that I've employed, but connecting back to that time, there's just a lot of really interesting things coming out of that. Mm -hmm. I don't know where I was going with that, but. I, I just, mean, it's, I say it all the time. I ask the question all the time is what, you know, how would you sit with you know, eight-year-old Sam, how would you sit with 10-year-old Sam and work through the ages of thinking back and imagining yourself literally sitting across from yourself and like holding space and what, what did they need? Because that version of you still exists in you. Yeah. It's still, he's still there, you know, and listening and still waiting to be healed too. I feel like me right now is like parenting that little version of myself and teaching that version of myself what I know now about getting through life. And that little version of myself, little nine-year-old Sam, is reminding me of who I actually am. Because mm. I feel like I lost, you know, I lost myself at, at some point and I, I ran from it and I wanted to be different and I wanted to be harder and stronger and more charismatic or just whatever it was. And it's so funny how like now looking back at who I was, it's like perfect, mm -hmm. you know, it's like wonderful. That kid just couldn't see it. Mm -hmm. What informed you into being an artist? Like what events and what moments and what lessons along the way have informed your, your art? Because you tried various things that weren't a fit. And I guess mm -hmm. what was that process? There's so many stories of people being like, I just knew it. I just knew it. And 12 year old, you knew it, mm -hmm. but at some point yeah. you lost it, you <laughs> know, or you try, you tried enough to remember that, that old vision. Oh dude. Like, oh my God. 
I tell people all the time, I feel like up until I started this business, I felt like I was having an existential crisis like every other day. Like I was so, so down and I just felt so lost. And I was doing meaningful work. People looked at my work and they were like, oh, yeah, that's so amazing. Like you're doing you're leading these trauma informed trainings. You're doing like these beautiful like body work classes and uh, workshops and stuff. But I just felt like something was missing and something deep within me was missing. And um, yeah, I I think I I came back. I kind of took a pause uh, from what I was doing and focused on writing my uh, finishing my book, my poetry book. And when I did that, again, it was like this deep dive experience. And from that space was when I began to have vision for something bigger. And I think it's like, again, it's when we touch back on, okay, what made you feel alive when you were younger? Like, what made you, what was the thing that, I don't know, lit you up? And, you know, that was writing for me. And so I I know right now, I know I'm a writer. I know I'm a storyteller. So I had to go around a lot to in order to find it. But yeah, I think it was just tapping into the thing I knew when I was younger. So um, and trying out a lot of different things. <laughs> but, you know, it's great because all the things that I did, I don't feel like it was a mistake. I'm 34. And I'm wow. like, yeah, the time's been good to you. <laughs> well, thank you. That's really sweet. I appreciate that. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, it's um, but it's it's so funny because I I definitely was down on myself because I was like, man, I should have my shit together. I should know exactly what I'm doing, blah, 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 all this stuff. And but now I look back on it and I'm like, you know what? Everything that I was learning up until now has given me the knowledge and experience to do the work that I'm doing. It has given me the junction to be like, to keep showing up or to have those hard conversations or to be a content curator, to learn like social marketing, to figure out how to host events, to set up all these kind of things. I didn't know how to do any of that, but it happened little by little over time with these little, I don't know, experiences. I was kind of just practicing along the way. And so now it's all coming into fruition, you know, which is a blessing. That is a blessing. Yeah. As it, I, so I noticed that he, he, when you talked about your first 12-year-old publication, you said like, oh, it was really bad. How as it, so as a creator, it's really hard to um, find the worth of your work mm-hmm. because obviously we're still building our craft and we're not recognized as amazing artists (laughs) and what is your your process to to finding a piece falling in love with it letting yourself know that it's ready to publish even though you could totally rewrite that first paragraph because it's not right right, you know Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. what is your Mm. internal journey because i think that's i know a lot of great artists who won't send their work to a gallery Mm. you know or won't send their writing to agents or they're just not ready to push publish yeah and you cross that line Mm -hmm. for women who roar could have stayed an idea yeah and i'm i think the chances are greater that it would have stayed an idea Mm -hmm. but you took the leap and you continue to yeah you're in print too there's no edit Mm -hmm. you know 
Yeah, it's out there. It's out there. Oh my god. Yeah. Yeah. Have a copy. I'll show you. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's so scary to show up, right? Um, it's so scary to take the risk, but I think with this work, with my writing, with uh, for women who roar, I knew it was just something I couldn't not do. I had to do it. Like when it showed up in my mind, like the vision was so expansive that I was like, it would be a tragedy for me not to do this thing. So every day, I've never worked so hard in my life, like to make something happen. And everything I'm making happen, I don't really know what I'm doing. I'm like figuring it out as I go. And I think I just keep showing up. So I mean, I think when when you really connect with that soul thing, like you just get the energy to do it, right? Like it just it moves you forward. It's like the fuel. Yeah, I pers- I have ebbs and flows. Mm-hmm. I have really bad depression, so like right now I'm in a period. I mean, there was this kind of <laughs> there was this heartbreak <laughs> that just destroys me every time. Mm-hmm. Because I thought that I thought it was the one, so I have to be a little bit kind with the way I speak about myself mm-hmm. when I'm talking about this. But there are just times where I don't have the energy, and then there are times mm-hmm. like now where I start to come back into that. And so I personally just sprint at that time. And, yes, yeah. And let me be yeah. clear: like yeah. it's not like I'm just like, woo! I love this. I'm so excited every day, and like. <laughs> I have serious like mental health issues. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, let me be clear. I'm a smiley person, but I have darkness. And that darkness and my experience of survival has it it makes it hard to exist <laughs> a yeah. lot of time. But at the same time, so I agree. I have moments where I sprint and that's why I do like I run because I know that there are going to be some times where I'm going to struggle to wake up. Yeah. And that in itself is a roar. And I talk about that a lot is like to be someone that roars isn't about how you use your voice all the time. It might be the fact that you woke up and got out of bed, even though you felt like you couldn't like that today is your experience of a roar. Like that is your voice. And so, I mean, to me, that's a motivation as well is like, okay, practice what you preach. (laughs) Yeah. Well, speaking of roaring, when I found out that we were going to get in contact, I didn't realize the interview was going to happen this fast. (laughs) This is a shot in the dark. But just the image of roaring. Actually, I was in a car on the back road and I just yelled as loud as I could Mm -hmm. like a Viking. And it felt really good. Like actually physically roaring. Because I was thinking, I was going, for women who roar, I was thinking, wow, this is really cool. And, you know, I, I kind of wish there was something like like this just for men, too. Yeah. You know, yeah. because there's a lot of, like, amped up, cool male motivation stuff. But it yeah. just wasn't quite, there wasn't a translation quite mm-hmm. like for women who roar, which I think is mm-hmm. awesome. And so I just got in the car and just yelled and it was amazing. Yeah. How did it feel in your body? I realized I hadn't yelled at the top of my lungs since I was probably a teenager, like on a mountain somewhere. Yeah. And it felt really good. Mm-hmm. It felt, I felt really connected to, to something, to the, you know, I always say to myself, I always say to myself, uh, you have one job and that's to survive, Sam. Mm-hmm. And you get to do whatever it takes to survive. 
And the good news is that you're the direct descendant of survivors. Mm. Like there are thousands of generations of people who decided not to quit or who were able to not quit so you could be here today. Mm. Mm. And uh, I felt connected to that energy Wow. and to that power source. That is so cool. It was cool. I, I go this back road to therapy every Friday. I think it might be a ritual now. Yes. So were you in your own car? Like, yeah. Was, okay. I was in a truck. I was picturing you in like an Uber. <laughs> and all of a sudden the Uber driver was like, whoa. That would crap. be amazing. <laughs> Just like practice that. Yeah. Like, what? Hold on. Let's roll down the windows real quick so I don't <laughs> blow your eardrums out. Oh, that's amazing. I, I love that you, you did that. I'm actually really inspired. I don't even know the last time I did that. I remember I did a... um writing prompt i like prompted myself with it and one of the prompts was to make noise and i remember a visceral fear of doing it of raising my voice i was so scared i couldn't do it i literally felt like i could not make the loud noise and so in order to scream i had to yell into a pillow to scream as loud as i could that's the only way i could get myself to do it but it, you know, it was so powerful because it really brought up so much, and I just began to write. I've like free wrote from that. Like, it's yeah, powerful. I've yelled into the pillow. Oh yeah, you just wait. Oh yeah, just, there's nothing in between. <sighs> oh, I, it's so good. I loved it. I loved the way when you said sometimes getting out of bed is a roar, mm-hmm. and I love, like, man, I would love to start categorizing stuff in my life with that kind of energy. Like, this is a roar. Yes. What are your roars in your like in your practical daily life that because it's like for me it's like i know meditation works i don't ever find a way to do it but like what are your actual these are the things i manage to do roars where you find yourself like reminding yourself that you're capable reminding yourself that your vision is valid what are your roars in your daily life oh god i mean i'm trying to figure out a practice right yeah Um, but i would say there's there's tangible things um that are just really important for me to ground myself because I'm like um, a total vata. So I'm just like made of air and I'm just like, I will totally float away. I'm like a little balloon and I'll just like, woo, just float away if I don't have something to ground me. So for me, finding those practices is really important. So this is pretty basic, but literally just being outside, like just going outside and especially if I can get barefoot like and just like take my shoes off and just feel the earth like for me that is so grounding um and then just like simple practices of uh you know placing my hand on my chest and my belly to connect back to my heart like just to remind myself I'm a person Mm -hmm. I do a lot of tapping and I mean like I love EFT like the actual tapping technique which is really cool if you haven't tried it I haven't oh yeah check it out it's really really powerful um you do all these different tapping like on the forehead the side of the eye the shoulder under the arm and it's so it's like helps calm the nervous system and you use like these uh knowing statements about how you're feeling as you begin to tap so like i i feel really sad today you know uh and this is how i feel and you're like basically just validating how you feel as you tap and you move through your body anyway so i do a lot of that um just to validate and connect back to my body because especially since i'm on the screen a lot and if i'm interacting with people a lot i, I can get pretty dissociated because it can overwhelm me and so my 
my body response to that is just to disappear. So I have to ground, I have to connect. Mm. So anything that taps me back into my body um, is really crucial for me to stay. What else do you do? I know a lot of artists like myself don't actually end up finishing and don't end up doing. And so you can get these great ideas. I mean, some of my favorite creative friends are just full of great ideas all the time. And what do you do to make sure that you're still doing that things are you're, mm-hmm. you're grabbing them and not just enjoying mm-hmm. the, the vision and enjoying the excitement of the vision, but actually being like, okay, I'm going to do the footwork. What are your kind of yeah your footwork? Uh, yeah, totally. That's a great question because I'm like a total starter. I like have a million ideas. I think this is an artist thing, right? Yeah. Like, <laughs> like we have 20 bazillion ideas and we're so excited and we don't finish like half of them. Um, so my big thing that I've realized is I'm like a sprinter. so um, I have to focus on one thing at a time. Like Mm. my impulse is to do 20 million things at one time, but nothing will get done. So I, I mean, just tangibly, I just like literally make a list and then I just go through and just, I work on it until it's done. It's really counterculture to how I feel I'm supposed to respond. Like I feel like I'm supposed to do a million different things, but that's the way I finish something, you know, otherwise I won't finish it. So, yeah, I just write a list, go through it, and uh, work until I'm done. I could be up for, like, three days until I finish something, but that's how I complete it. So, like, I actually finish things pretty fast. Like, once I get a vision for something, I, like, I just have to finish it. Like, if I don't, then, you know. Yeah, I'm, sad, but. I think I'm, I feel... I really like knowing the specifics yeah. because you're doing, you're, you're living a life that is, it mirrors kind of what I want for myself. Mm, okay. So normally I'm a little bit more mm. metaphorical, but I'm actually curious of how you pull it off. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, so let's see. How do I pull it off? <laughs> it's like, I just exist in my own world. It's how, like, how do I pull it off? Um, I guess like it, you'd have to break it down based on what, what you're wanting to experience so like for instance with the the social right for creating content and daily a lot of that is i I plan it out i set a theme of what what i want to experience uh, what i want the community to experience that month or three months depends on how long you want to experience like right now we've been in a um topic of voice so like the whole theme is revolving around that so i'll create a number of writing prompts that I want people to engage in around that. So I know that these are going to be points that are going to be happening every Friday, right? And I'm going to put out writing prompts for them or, um, you know, just creating content that's going to, uh, you know, connect with the audience and stuff like that. So creating that list and organizing that, um, I brainstorm a lot. And then I just follow up on it. So like I read out every single event that I could imagine happening. Like what would be the coolest event? And I write it all out and then I break it down on which one could be the first one to happen. What's the last thing? And then what are the ways that I can make these happen? What are the contacts? And then I just begin reaching out and doing all that. So yeah, it's kind of like, it depends like on what, what subject you're wanting details on because yeah. Yeah. No, I just, I guess that was for the, the listeners to know, like, wow, this is very specific. I oh, just, my gosh. You're, you have a creative company. Yes. You're 
doing a lot. Mm-hmm. So you're doing the print publication. You have a really nice feed. I mean, I'm not even a woman and I enjoy it quite <laughs> Good, you know, yeah, of course. Because the message is universal. Really. Yes, of course. I'm not going to go debate women in the comments, but. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's for everyone. Yeah. Like, for sure. Like, of course, it's dedicated to women. Yeah. Um, but it's for anyone that yeah. has a story and wants to tap into their voice. And I think there's value in the specificity. Yeah. That it is specifically. I think that is nice. Oh, yes, of course. I know when I find something that's just like for me, I'm like, thank you. Did yes. you ever made this? Yes. And you have a, a relationship that appears to work. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> As you mentioned when we were talking we earlier. Did, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. H- how do you balance the, the work mm-hmm. life and make time for yourself, make time for your partner, mm-hmm. and uh, <laughs> also make time for the dream? Because it's a really like for people that start doing, following that impulse, bless your poor souls. Um, Gosh. It's a difficult balance that... I, I love when other creators talk about. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So our poor partners, um, <laughs> <laughs> whenever we dive into our, our dreams, our work, um, I'm definitely an all or nothing person. So I'm like in it. Right. So I've actually had to um, set some serious boundaries. Um, otherwise, literally all I talk about with my husband is the vision, the work, yeah. the dreams. So even when I'm planning, I'm like, okay, I'm not going to talk about it. And then something like a tree will remind me of it or something. I mean, it's like so random. And I'll just be like, oh my God. And uh, Megan, get a hold of yourself. Just take a pause. So I I leave my, if we're going out, if we're taking walks, I leave my phone at home. I, I make a deliberate decision. Okay, I'm not going to, I'm going to ask more questions. I'm going to listen. I'm going to take a break from this conversation this business uh, for this amount of time um so it's setting very very clear boundaries um for the sake of our relationship because otherwise our relationship's just going to be about this thing that i'm building which is beautiful and i appreciate all the support and it's been amazing but we have something that exists outside of this so um it's been a practice like i'm practicing it a lot and i have to say sorry like a lot (laughs) because i i feel like it's just it can take over everything so have you been finding ways to to turn it off at the right at the right time or leave you know okay this is for tomorrow's work or Mm. where do you because i know like this week i'm like behind i haven't published a podcast Mm. And I was like, okay, I'm going to do this on Tuesday. And there's just no healthy way to do that. Right, right. Um, So, I mean, I wish I could say that I stick to like a formula and it's always the same. It's something I'm working on. Yeah. Um, But to be honest, like I have a podcast and I haven't posted, you know, the podcast in like two weeks, even though, you know, it should be weekly or whatever. Um, So I give myself a lot of grace with it. it Me is, too. You know, like it's our art, it's our work. And, you know, what makes you feel good, as long as you're putting it out there. Um, that's really the most important thing. It's at the end of the day, but you got to take care of yourself. You know, yeah. In the in the meantime, I want to build consistency. Like it's like a it's a practice that I, I really want for myself. Mm-hmm. It's like consistency and being able to, like, as a debt of honor, get it out weekly. But yeah. the reality of the matter is like, I'm not a seasoned media guy Mm -hmm. and i'm not a type a like Mm -hmm. let's just get all this stuff done it's like like, yeah (laughs) 
I'm learning as I go. And the reason why I have a podcast is because I decided to learn as I go. Mm -hmm. And it, it's really easy to be like, okay, I'm going to like do this, 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 and this, and then I'll follow my dreams. Mm -hmm. And the, the price I pay of learning as I go means that I don't have the skills yet to get it out weekly Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. or have the, the discipline or to get it out weekly. And, Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love that you're also figuring this out. Oh, I think dude, we talked at yeah. a good time because otherwise it, it could have been overwhelming if you had already. Oh no, dude! I like am totally figuring it all out, and you know, I think a lot of it too is just learning your personality and learning what works best for you. So, to talk about like running a creative business, like we as creatives can give each other all the resources, and I'm I'll give you everything. Like I'll give you all the resources you need after this, but like at the end of the day, you've got to figure out what formula works best for you. And once you find that and flow with it, then things will start to move productively for you and your business. Like, but until you, if you're trying to fit a mold that somebody else is doing, you're just going to get frustrated and pissed off at yourself. Like, you know, and so you've got to, you got to find your own way. And I, I'm still figuring that out. I know for me that again, it's like focusing on one thing at a time. So like, for instance, when I launched the first season of For Women Who Roar podcast, I dedicated all my time to recording. Like, I literally recorded almost every episode of the season in about a month. Wow. Yeah, it was crazy. And then the next month I edited it. So I broke it up into that. And then from there, it was just about like scheduling publishing on Lisbon, right? And like, okay. That's going to go out then. That's when it is. And I'll market it the day it goes out. But I I had to put all of my energy and focusing, concentrate time. That's how I work, right? But like... You have all this stuff just scheduled to go? Uh, You're that ahead? I try to. (laughs) You're you're amazing. (laughs) (laughs) No, I mean, it's, (laughs) it's, um, yeah, I guess there is a part of my personality that, that needs that kind of structure too. Um, because in some ways scheduling like grounds me because if I don't do that, if I don't know what's going to happen, I feel like really freaked out. Like it's like, um, for instance, if I'm, if if my husband and I go on a road trip or something, like I actually want to drive because like I need to know what's happening and I need to know where we're going. And if I'm, if we're, maybe I'm a control freak, maybe that's actually what we're saying, but if I'm not driving, then I'm like, okay, what, why are you going to turn here? Like, what's going to, what's, <laughs> you know? So I just need, I think I just need the structure. Like I need, it stabilizes me to know that I have a plan. And even if the plan changes, like if I choose to change the plan, then at least there's some stability in that because I know I made the call. Like, so yeah, scheduling is, is helpful <laughs> for that. How have you come into, you have a lot of grace for yourself that I love. Was it always, have you always been that way or how did you learn to be just the language you use when you're talking about yourself, even when you're talking about like, you know, having certain things that you need your way. That's so funny. I like, don't feel like I have much grace for myself really? at all. So that's really fascinating. So either I present that way and that's just really interesting <laughs> that I present like someone that has a lot of grace or um, maybe I do have more than I realize. Um, I think, I think I 
I mean, I've gone through a lot of sabotage in order to learn um, and learning to love and accept myself. But I mean, I've beat myself up for so long. Like, <laughs> like, I don't know. I, I, I feel like I just, it's, it's time to, I don't have any more time to beat myself up. It's time to heal. <laughs> like, yeah. I beat myself up a lot too. And, uh, I'm, I'm retraining myself to realize that I am not successful because of my self-criticism. Mm -hmm. Cause that's the way that's that voice. That's like, that's shit back to the drawing board Yeah, is like the only reason you produce good work is because of me is yeah. because I, you know, it's like a very abusive partner. It's like, mm -hmm. I do this because I love you. Yes. And the truth of the matter is like, it's great to be able to have a critical eye. It's not great to be critical of yourself. Right. Like there's like a subtle difference there. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think like you have to, um, I totally blanked on what I was going to say. Oh, I edit the shit out of this. Thing. Oh, good. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my God. It was something I wanted to say so bad. I totally blanked on it. Oh, well, it'll come back. It'll later. come back. <laughs> we'll see. That kind of negative self-critic, the critic voice claims responsibility for everything good in my life. Mm -hmm. Well, it's really more often than not just been a bully mm. or it reminds me of being like harsh with my son. It's mm -hmm. like I'm being harsh when a calm, informative statement would have done just fine. Yeah. And so, you know, there's like this like harshness. It's like, this is not good enough. Mm -hmm. When like, hey, let's see if we could make this better. Like there's like, it's mm -hmm. like a subtle mm -hmm. shift or like, you know, let's just post this and it's not going to be the end of the world. Yeah. And you can learn as you, you can continue to learn as you go. Yes. I think it's like, I think for me, like when I'm really hard on myself, it's because I am almost trying to beat people to the punch. Like if I am afraid people are going to judge me or put my work down or something, it's like, I want to, I want to sabotage first. Like I want to break myself down before someone gets a chance to like, that's where my yeah. criticism oh, comes from. Yeah. You nailed it. Yeah. The, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, so it's like, okay, maybe Sam will judge me later. But if I, if I judge how I was in this interview, whatever, I'm just using an example, then, then I won't feel as bad if he says something right. Like it's like avoiding perceived threats. Exactly. But then like, what are you doing? Like it, it, one, it's all projection. That's usually nothing to do with the person, like or the experience. Nobody's thinking twice about it, and if they are, like, whatever. <laughs> like, who the fuck cares? Like, it's about how do you feel about yourself? Like, how do you rise above that? And how do you split yourself from this projection that you're putting out on other people? You know, because really, all projections are just rising up from some place within us that we haven't dealt with it's just a, another opportunity to begin to reckon and work with uh an experience that we haven't healed yeah how do you move around fear when it pops up when it feels paralyzing Oof. not that you have the answer for it but what right. what are your thoughts on it in a perfect world oh 
well, I take drugs, uh, which helps like uh, me- medication. Um, that's, <laughs> that's nice for fear daily. Um, I, I breathe. Uh, when, um, when fear pops up and it's paralyzing, like I think of situations like, um, uh, I get really terrified of filling on the spot. Um, I get kind of a phobia around, um, performance. Um, that can paralyze me. So usually it's, it's, again, it's very visceral connections. I have to make a connection back to my body. Mm -hmm. So like, for instance, now we're sitting here and if I start feeling so afraid, I'm feeling out of my body and I'm like, I'm not present, which has happened already a couple of times in this interview because it can, it can come. I just do little things like tap my body or notice that I'm sitting on this chair. Notice that I'm here, that I'm alive, that I'm breathing, that my chest is rising when I inhale and that when I exhale, I'm okay. You know, like to me, making it through that fear moment is about knowing that I have a body and that it has survived up until now and it's surviving still. It's very like, uh, you were a yoga teacher. Yeah. It's like, I've heard that before in yoga. Yeah. Which is interesting because your body is a safe space for you. Oh, my God. It was never a safe space for me, but it has become a refuge. Yeah. Because it's a it's a temple of survival. It's learned to survive so much harm and pain. And uh, I mean, I hated my body for so long. I thought it was just this cave of betrayal you know, and weakness. And it just, you know, was screwing me all the time. But I don't know. Now I just, it's like, I guess it's a lot of healing work. But now I just am so thankful to know that it has held me through all the shit. Like it's brought me through, you know. I love that. Yeah. I love that idea that my body is a safe space. I told you about this tattoo, yeah. you know, the tattoo on my knuckles, mm-hmm. which I can't hide, say well-made. Yes. And it's a reminder. And it's so people ask me what it's about. And I have to say, oh, I had body issues. And this is a reminder that I'm well-made. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I've done like micro versions of that where I'll like thank my feet. Mm, yeah, I love thanking my feet. And uh, (laughs) that's about as deep as I've died. It's like, look at my hands. I've been like, everything you've ever drawn or written, your hands have done for you. Mm -hmm. Or every place you've ever gone, your feet have taken you. Yes. But I'm actually, um, you've inspired me a bit to go home and start thinking about my body as a, not as some floating body parts, which is (laughs) what I've been able to manage so far. Yes. No, you, you mentioned earlier about selfies and like doing that work of, of putting your face out there, you know, like that, that is, uh, I love mirror work. You know, you've probably heard about that. You just, it's pretty basic. You just go stand in front of a mirror (laughs) and you just see yourself and don't worry about posting about it or doing a picture, like just you and you like have your own experience. But man, it's one of the hardest things to do is just stand in front of a mirror and just look at your face and notice what happens when you do it. Notice where you go. Like, do you immediately go to judgment or 
um, criticism. Or maybe you just look at your eyes and maybe you just think you're fucking beautiful. And what does that feel like to know that that's good? Like, that's okay to feel that way, that you can be confident, like that you can be unapologetic. I've had a lot of healing come from mirrors, which is funny because it used to be not my friend. Mm. I mean, I want to make mirrors that say, let's be friends. Yeah. Like almost it. obscuring, <laughs> you know, your face. Yeah. So you can just see little bits of it through the text. Mm. But it's funny how it's gone from one of my greatest fears to one of my best allies. I mean, when I'm in the gym, I try to find a mirror now so I can look myself in the eyes and see how strong I am. Yes. Yeah. And I sometimes will run to the bathroom when I'm having a hard time at work just to look myself in the eyes now because there's something, some shift where like looking myself in the eyes reminds me of something deep and true, Yes, which I, I'm not actually sure I have words to right now, but I know that a year ago or two years ago, I wrote a piece called Mirror, Mirror, and that was not the case. Mm. And it's a lifetime's worth of work. It's not a year's worth of work. No. But I'm... That's one nice thing I can point to. <laughs> there's yeah. been some growth around. Yeah. There's going to be times in your life where you won't recognize yourself, you know, but then there'll be times when you do. I remember it's probably about six years ago, maybe even a little longer. I was in such a deep, uh, I was like working out a PTSD response. I was really triggered by everything. And I remember walking by my reflection uh, on the street and not recognizing myself. And like, I looked like, ancient you know like I didn't I, I just looked like this ghost and I even remember there were times where I would look down and I was so afraid if I looked in the mirror that I was just like I was like what if I I feel what if I look how I feel and it felt like I looked like I don't know a hundred million years old like my soul had lived like a bazillion times like through a lot of pain but then I would look in the mirror and I looked like me just young and it was so confusing i was like wait i don't look how i feel but yet it grounded me back it brought me back to my body and it's uh, yeah mirrors are fascinating go look in the mirror y'all like check yeah. yourself out like you're you a miracle. little you can start with just little bits yeah you're a miracle <laughs> i love that you're a miracle i got it i'm a dad that did not go above <laughs> oh my, my head God. okay it totally went I do. I'm like this pun person, but I don't even realize I do puns until after, and then I'm really like amused by how oh, I do. I'm puns. a dad. I said I'm pun. <laughs> Nailed it. Yes. So part of your story and finding what you did want to do was um, doing the yoga, doing the healing work, which I think are really obviously directly connected to what you're doing. But then there's also the studying theology and psychology, and just like I studied product design. There's like weird things where I'm like, wow, that really came in handy. You know, <laughs> like what a, what a weird twist. <laughs> you know, I know how to use Illustrator now, you know. It's a good tool. What, what are the big takeaways that you took from that chapter, which on the surface is kind of like, well, you weren't heading on your path, but that you, you go, wow, I'm glad I have this on my path. Oh, my gosh. I have a really uh, crazy, funny. Hold on a sec. We got some garbage truck. With no respect. No respect for the podcast, yeah. Garbage Truck. I actually, sorry about this. I really thought this room was going to be the quietest. And of course, it's like the loudest place I could have taken. Yeah, well, I'm realizing that the window's open now, but it's okay. Oh, 
This will be the first time. Come on. That's yeah. totally what it was. This will be the first time that you can hear the room really well. Because my sound mm. engineer who helps me when all things go wrong mm. is always like, I really kind of like the noise of the sound. Uh, oh, the, cool. They can do magic the, with it. Yeah. And I'm always like, remove everything. <laughs> I know. Remove everything. Oh, but, do you want me to close it now? Would that be weird? Only f- 50 minutes in, it gets really good, you guys. Just hold on, guys. <laughs> There's going to be like no background noise. It's going to be amazing. Uh, you asked me a question. I did. Do you remember what you it was? You want a refresher? Okay. Yes. The I question was, <laughs> what, what do you take from your education in theology and psychology Yes. that you're really grateful that you did this kind of detour? Oh my gosh. So I have a really um, funky relationship with like spirituality. Um, I have like a long journey with it. So um, (laughs) I went to the Seattle School of Theology and Psychology uh, to help heal my trauma. Um, I was like ready to take a deep dive. And um, I theology was always a really uh, important way for me to get to know myself and parts of my parts of myself. So it's funny because I grew up in like a Unitarian church, uh, you know, so it was like very open and like we like I like drew pictures of Gandhi and Jesus like holding hands you know? <laughs> <laughs> and like we had like nature trails and it was really cute. Um, but then I uh made a switch to a southern baptist church was like which is like whiplash like from a spirituality standpoint to go from like unitarian to (laughs) southern baptist singing in the choir um and it's it's really interesting now as i think about it because i got really uh deep into the conservative movement like um you know um Conservative Christianity or, yeah, or conservative uh, politically? Uh, no, conservative Christianity. Okay. I wasn't really into politics at all. I mean, it's all woven together, but I wasn't at that time. Um, this was when I was younger. But uh, yeah, but it's interesting now. I was deep in it and like the purity movement, all those kind of things, right? And as I began to kind of deconstruct my faith, and it really happened, um, you know, after a lot of traumatic experiences as an adult. And the trauma experiences I had as an adult began to kind of be a door to open up to um, experiences I had when I was younger. Like it was like a, it was like a knocking at the door of being like, hey, Megan, this is an opportunity for you to think about some pain that happened when you were younger. Uh, it's an invitation for you. And when I began to do that, the spirituality, the conservative Christianity that I was a part of began to make a lot of sense of why I was attracted to it. It made sense for me to understand myself as a bad object, to see myself as like a sinful creature, right? Or to, uh, you know, yeah, it was like a, it made sense to understand like that there was a category of good and bad. And it helped be a container for me and the pain that I experienced and the shame that I had lived with. Um, 
So when I began to reconcile with that and start dealing with it, it was it was really liberating for me spiritually. Yeah. Like all of a sudden I was like, oh, my God, like I have an understanding for why I was attracted to this. And in some ways I was like, OK, I, I get why I needed that. Like it was helpful for me at that time. I think it was helpful for me to hold the categories of, of uh, pain I had, you know. And uh, yeah. So anyway, yeah, I went to the the Seattle school and um, studied theology. I studied psychology and I, it definitely plays into the work that I do now because I have a deep understanding of how suffering is sacred and theology to me is uh, it speaks to that suffering. Um, it speaks to that space of story and how uh, you know, suffering is part of the story. And so it's the light, you know? So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, both of us are in similar kind of challenges of, I mean, if you think of it as like, just, I mean, it's kind of shallow language, but like just in terms of marketing terms, we're trying to sell humanity yeah. and sell that you're, this, it's complex and there's flaws and there's not one way to do it. Mm -hmm. And it's okay to feel lousy mm -hmm. and it's, there's a natural magnetism towards simple answers mm -hmm. in a way where somebody says six steps to feel better. You're kind of like, thank you for the six steps, <laughs> you know? And so I, you know, I've noticed like, even in terms of, of, of title, you know, mm -hmm. we've always titled our pieces, like kind of art artistic titles. It wouldn't be like how I got over this, you know, <laughs> No, but there is a natural draw to that. And, I understand people that do use titles like that because I know it has it's effective, but I think there's a bit of kind of intellectual dishonesty yeah. behind some of that. Mm -hmm. And I think for you, I, I can see, of course, it would be so comforting for someone to say, I have the answer. Yes. Like I have the answer to why you're in pain, which is. Yes. Uh, and maybe the answer was horrible. Like it was a bad answer. It could be really bad. It could be that you're a. Uh, uh, awful sinner. Yeah, I'm know? an awful sinner, but I was like, yes, yeah. this explains everything. You know, like it made so much sense for me to be identified as the bad object because of, you know, the trauma that I didn't, wasn't allowed to say and speak to all of a sudden I was like, well, I'll just, I will, I will swallow up that identity. I will, I will identify as that pain. I mean, that's incredibly harmful, right? It's incredibly self-harmful. Oh yeah. But but it also gave me language for something, even though I had to deconstruct that language. And it's a lot of hard work. Like, I remember when I went to the theology, the, theology, theology school, <laughs> I went to the theology school. <laughs> um, yeah, when I went to the theology school, I uh, was sitting in the class and the, the professor said, I have three questions for you. Who is God? Who is Jesus? And who the hell are you? And I felt like I was going to explode. Like, I was like, I don't know if I've ever given myself permission to to answer these questions honestly. And uh, we had this like little bitty, bitty, bitty chapel room. And I went in there because I felt like I literally was going to explode. Like, I felt like it was any moment that my body might fragment into a million pieces because I was going to let myself break the idea that I had about God and about myself and about this theology that had had held me for so long around shame and contempt and all these things. And so I went in there and I just like, 
let myself. And I remember I like fetaled up and it was like, I just felt like I had to hold myself from breaking. But it, it, but I did. I broke. I broke. I broke. And it was amazing. Like, it was amazing. And, like, since then, like, my spiritual life, whatever that is, it's, like, so open. I don't even know. But, like, I'm not attached to these unhealthy ideas that that I held on to for so long about myself and about God and all these things that were a framework for how I identified myself. It's, it blew up. Yeah. I, there, there is a, a comfort in a diagnosis, even if it's bad, right? Yes, like if you really. feel low energy and somebody says you have this, there's like, right. Yeah, I remember like finding yeah. out like I have depression. Like it was a relief. Like you mm -hmm. know, you're you're gonna have a life of like you know some struggles. <laughs> like thank you. I know, <laughs> but it's validating. When it comes to diagnoses, like you can always get a second opinion, especially if it's of who you are mm -hmm. or what is right or wrong. I mean, yeah, it's 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 scary sometimes mm -hmm. the way some people are are selling the quote unquote answers. Yeah. But I'm really glad that you found your own answer. I, you know, more and more, the more I've met people who I considered like gurus or like my thought leaders, my mm -hmm. teachers. And I've probably said this on another recording that I've done, but I'm starting to realize the more and more I meet them in their human spaces, I meet them at their homes or in their offices. And, you know, they always say, don't meet your heroes because mm -hmm. you'll see who they really are and it's not always the person that you've built them up to be yeah and i've realized that we're looking for inspiration mm -hmm. not answers because mm -hmm. what i've examined is when i hear an answer that is dead on it's it's the answer that was already inside me recognizing itself mm -hmm. it's not that this person gave me this outside answer mm -hmm. it's my body going yeah, that's what I've been trying to tell you. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we really just want to recognize ourselves in another person. Like, we want to know that we're not alone. Like, yeah. it really, at the end of the day, isn't that what we all want? Is just to know, oh, I see, like, this little bit of myself in you. And now I can know that I'm not so alone in the world. I have this idea where I want to get a megaphone and, like, put it on a microphone stand. And have a sign that says, like, do you have a dream for yourself? Are you willing to say it out loud? And because it's something that I'm not sure I would be willing to do if I came across this mm -hmm. megaphone. Yes. And since you're young in your career mm -hmm. and you're you have vision and you have this imagination and you can see kind of where it's going. I was wondering if as a challenge, <laughs> you could just let yourself without shame just kind of talk about the the vision of what you hope you can yeah. do with this even if it seems unrealistic or if it seems like you know because you always want to kind of like yeah regulate yourself and be like let's just stick to reality here. yeah i was wondering if you could just let it rip cool yeah let's try let's see what happens <laughs> oh man I mean, I have big visions for women who roar, and one of the things is I'm I'm like so excited because I think, I think it's gonna do things that I wouldn't even imagine, right? Like it's gonna go places that I hope defy my imagination, which would be really exciting. Um, and I hope to be open to that 
Um, so definitely I, I want it to expand beyond the magazine. The magazine is a space holder for people to share their stories. It's highlighting, it's handing the mic and the same with the podcast. It's basically handing the mic to women and saying, share your story. Right. So same with the magazine, but I also really want to create live experiences that's one that me too man yeah. yes i hope you figure it out because it's gonna happen <laughs> you can help me yes yeah. no it's definitely gonna happen okay i have i have two big ideas for this i probably have more than that but the two are the first is creating chapters um and the reason for this is because and I imagine this is the same for you, is our community is really vast. So it's global. They're like all over the place. And I always want for women who roar to feel intimate. I always want it to feel like a safe space for people to gather and share their stories. So to me, the best way to create that is through small chapters in which, I don't know, 30 15 to 30 people in one space gathered together monthly right and have uh, open mic sessions have writing workshops have i don't know creative collaborative sessions something like that and they are co-hosted and hosted by people in that area um so that they can basically cultivate their own for women who roar community and create their own safe space and then almost grow that um so i that's one i want there to be thousands of chapters and i don't think that's unheard of at all like i totally think it could happen and i want it to be like everywhere and for just women to empower each other to share their voice and story and to find their own unique way to connect with their community to do that because i yeah i could go to india and be like i'm gonna help you start this chapter and it's like yeah i'll support you but you know how to connect to your community you know what your community needs from a creative standpoint like what does that look like how can i support you so okay that's a big one another is to create um a big summit so this would be Ooh. like yeah a big uh, annual gathering so this is taking all these chapters all these ladies everybody who wants to come together um for this humongous meetup right and it would probably just be like a, a weekend long experience and it would be featuring artists musicians um panels uh speakers split off into workshops so you have those intimate experiences so you can dive into oh i want to learn how to write a poem cool we got someone over here for you oh i want to uh, learn how to use my voice because I'm afraid to. Cool, we got like a voice teacher over here. You know, like all these different ways of workshopping it out. Um, so that's that's a big one. Um, I definitely think it can happen. Uh, I'm scared. Um, how the hell do you create an event that would be this massive? Um, but I know I can do it. And so that's, that's a big one. Um, let's see. What others? I, I want to publish a book um, personally. Oh, you're going to sell a book. Yeah, no, yeah. Thank you. No doubt. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm working with someone right now. So I'm, I'm, I'm hoping uh, it comes together. But I believe it. I've, I've known I was going to publish something since I was little. So, I mean, I already did. But I wish I would have brought my little book for you to I see. Wish, yeah. You can send me a photo so I can I'm share totally it. I'm yeah. totally going to send you photos. It's so cute. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I'd say those are my two big visions. Um, I have more 
they're not coming to me right now. I mean, I want like smaller versions of these kind of meetups too, of like uh, retreats and all kinds of stuff like that. But really the summit and the expansive chapters are the big ones. I want to see the magazine on shelves everywhere. I want to see it everywhere. I want it. I want people to get them in their hands and hold the stories of these women. Like, because these stories, these interviews, this poetry, they're not like, it's not like fancy writing. Like, this is like gritty shit. Like, this is the the kind of um, unedited work. And I, I want people to recognize themselves when they hold the magazine. So that's that's a big one is just getting it out everywhere. So... Oh, I love that. Women unedited. That's like yes. Nice. Yes. Yeah. As we should be. Yeah. As we all should be. Show your unedited self. It's fucking beautiful. Thanks Fuck the for, filter. Thanks <laughs> for dreaming here. I really appreciate that. Yeah. I don't think I've given myself permission to go that far yet. You should do it. You I am. Do it? I yeah. am a dreamer. Oh, my God. No, I need a second. Oh, that was for you. Um. You asked me. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I want to create community, too. Yeah. What my crazy dream is, is I would love to have a seriously, and this might sound, I don't know if I'm allowed to say this even, you know, there's so much weird permission about it. I want a gigantic platform and I want to be able to lift people into their careers if they're doing great work. I mean, yeah. I look at some of the really big platforms out there and it's always like, oh, this person was discovered by... And as an artist, I've always been scared of the gatekeepers and scared of the gate. And I never was actually, when I was sculpting, I wasn't sending out to galleries. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, I, instead of sending my writing out to other publications, I've own, I started my own blog, you know. Mm-hmm. And I would love to be able to kind of give the wink and the nod to the person who three years ago kind of was relatively unknown. And it's been a difficult balance where, you know, part of it means trying to grow the audience. And one of the ways I thought to do that was to grab the biggest guests possible. Mm-hmm. Uh, they don't always share or it doesn't always translate the way that you want it to. And then we we had a breakthrough kind of where I had this guy, Jacob Nordby, who's an amazing, amazing writer, but he's he just wasn't at the same like stardom. Mm-hmm. And it was one of the best interviews. Yeah. And so now I'm trying to, to, to balance it. You know, I want to keep a level of quote unquote prestige Mm -hmm. so we can continue to get big guests. And I also just want to like throw some younger artists in there and I would love a gigantic platform (laughs) and I'm okay if it doesn't become that, but the exercise was for me to just kind of freely dream. Um, I want to make money. And I want to be really comfortable making art. Yes. And that also feels like forbidden language. Mm-hmm. But I want to have a savings account. Mm-hmm. And I want to be able to have financial security and financial freedom while doing the things I love. And I've never been able to make those work thus far. And I need to be careful that I'm allowing myself to work towards that and allowing myself to ask for what I need. and make things give myself at least opportunities to make money because often i'll cut myself off from lack of permission permission um i want to sell a book Mm -hmm. as well i've been writing it and it will be i think the first time in my life where i start sending it out to strangers 
you know, my mom's an author, but I want to go find my own agent. And I guess what I, what I really want is to do enough where I look back and feel like, man, you did your best. Mm. And it's a practice, it's a practice of making sure that my best is based in, in reality where I'm not like, Oh, well, you didn't write, you know, 5,000 words today. You didn't do your best because sometimes my best is just getting out of bed. You know? Yes. But that I, I'm able to live in a way where I do feel like I'm, I'm I am doing my best mm-hmm. and I want to go for it. I want to I want to be on my deathbed and I want to say, like, you've you did it. You tried. Mm-hmm. And secretly, I would love for this to be big and successful yeah. and, and, and I, impactful. Mm-hmm. would be great and uh the closest you know i don't i don't love editing the podcast i love having the conversations i don't love s- scheduling the interviews but when i hear from other people i love that and so i want to create i want to create something that the best way i could say it is like you know nobody changed my life i had like big influences and i had moments but like to go like i really feel like to go from where i was which was like a a lousy friend a lousy partner a complete a lousy dad a drug addict and alcoholic like i saved myself mm-hmm. and so i don't want to save people or change their lives because that's impossible like they're the ones who are saving themselves and changing their own lives but i would love to be something that gives them room to breathe while they're in that yes i think that's what you're doing with hello humans that's what i see it at least from my experience so far with your platform was that when i heard the conversations that i've heard and i read the honesty i felt like i could breathe better that was my experience so i validate that and i think i mean you're doing such beautiful work um your dreams man you got this like your dreams yeah. are like i want to borrow some of yours because now i like heard yours and i was like wait okay i want to add to mine. i'm gonna borrow some of yours too I'm, oh good let's borrow from you yeah like, <laughs> sweet <laughs> this is the uh the way i end every single program if i could pull out a phone and on the other end was you at your most vulnerable at your most fearful at your most scared when you needed to talk to yourself at the most and you had like 120 seconds or you just had a small phone call with this person that they could remember and count on until they came up until they grew into who you are now talk to that person and and tell them what you think is most important what they really need to know to get through the years that's between them or who she was and who she's going to be so interesting i have like a really clear vision of a time in my life where i needed that conversation i would say what you're going through right now isn't the end of the story um you're going to make it and everything that you are going through and have been through is for something it's not for nothing and I want you to know that you are so fucking strong and resilient and that you have survived everything and you will continue to survive. 
I want you to know that you're talented um, and that the critic that you hear within you is a teacher. Take what you need to know from it, but also let some of that go. I would say that you are always healing and that you are a healer, that you are both, that you can be broken and that you can be incredibly successful and that you are worthy of being a success. You are worthy of being a success. You're worthy of being a success. I would say it over and over and over again, and I'm saying it to myself now because I think you have to retrain and recondition, you know, your mind to re to believe something, to, you know, to make it true. So I would say you got this and you are you are powerful. You are a powerful woman. Thank you so much. Thank you, Sam. Hey, so that's the end of this conversation. But if you don't want the conversation to end, you can follow us on social media on almost every platform. We're at hellohumans.co, except for Twitter, which has an underscore CO. Our website is hellohumans.co. We have great stories, videos, and the episodes live there as well. And for more of our guests, for more of any of our guests, I always post their social media, their books, their videos, their art in the show notes, which is another word for the podcast episode description, and it's available wherever you're listening. I promise you just have to click around. If you'd like to help us out more, there's a few ways you can help. Please share this podcast with your friends or people that you think would get value out of it. Writing us a review on iTunes is incredibly helpful for our ratings. And also, of course, this program is not possible without listener community contribution so our patrons are our financial backbone of this product that's how we manage to do this ad free you can become a patron by going to patreon.com slash how to human that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com slash how to human this is the how to human podcast a production of hellohumans.co until next time have a great day